You are listening to the She Runs the Show podcast with Cassandra Vaughn, episode 280, an interview with Stephanie Ray, the accountability evangelist. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of She Runs the Show. Cassandra with you here. The interview that you're about to hear is literally life changing. You know, one of the things that I want to work on in 2021 is my level of accountability. And I don't mean consistency, which you know, I talk about all the time, accountability. And in this episode, Stephanie Ray, who is the accountability evangelist, drops the mic on why accountability matters, why being stubborn about who you are and what you want is everything, and how to really see accountability as your superpower and not as some shame, blame, guilt game that you constantly use to to berate yourself with. You know, the truth of accountability is simple. When you own your responsibility to you, your entire life changes. And Stephanie gives so much wisdom in this interview. It is not even funny. So let's stop talking here and let's get to the interview. Stephanie, I'm so glad to have you on She Runs the Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Great. Thanks for having me, Cassandra. Good to be here. This is an exciting conversation because I think one of the things that people rarely talk about is accountability. Do you find that to be true? I do, even though it's pervasive uh, behind everything we do is accountability. But yes, I would say there's still not very many people talking about it. To me, accountability feels like the elephant in the room. Why do you why do you think that people shy away from talking about accountability in general? And I think it's because there's a negative connotation on the word. Every time you use it, most people use it in the phrase hold accountable. And that sounds really negative. Like it's not something you want to have happen. You don't want to be held accountable. That sounds like a terrible thing. And when you use it that way, it it is it can be terrible. If you have a boss who's holding you accountable by micromanaging you, that's not super pleasant and it's not effective at all. So, but I like to look at it the other way. I see accountability as full potential. When you hold yourself accountable, you realize that you are the answer to all of your problems. You are the answer to all of your opportunities and you can take it wherever you want. And so that's what the message I'm trying to get out there. But I do think the reason that people don't talk about it more is because it has uh, maybe bit them in the past based on how other people have imposed accountability on them. And I say, take it back. You own it. That's what being accountable is all about. I love the way you powerfully reframe, reframe what accountability means. Um, I've never heard it put quite that way, but when you define it that way, it actually feels more like a a superpower than anything else. Oh, for sure. It's really, I think like any other superpower, even the fictitious ones, right? They could be sitting there. If you you have them and you do nothing with it, that's not much of a power, but everyone has the power to be accountable and to take that power and use it for good. And it's available to everyone. So it's not a superpower that only certain people have. Everyone has it. It's just that not all people take advantage of it. That's so true. That's really, really true. Stephanie, how did you how did you come into being the expert that you are and, and really speaking about accountability that the way that you do? 
Well, it, it came some years ago when I was moving from the corporate environment to a nonprofit. You know, when you do that kind of thing, most people will tell you, oh, it's very different there. And I did, I thought, okay, fine, I guess I'll find out for myself. But what I found was, was not so much the things that you might think of when you move to a nonprofit, things like lack of resources, for example, uh, th that was there, but it wasn't the issue that was holding them back. Right away, I noticed that there was a lack of accountability in the organization that I became part of. And it was so obvious to me, and maybe because I was an outsider, it was that obvious and they couldn't really see it. But luckily the leader there was very open to new things and open to my perspective. And so after only a few months there, I presented them with kind of my assessment of the situation, all based on accountability and was given permission to present to the leadership, all the supervisors of the organization actually, and really bring them into the fold on what's going on here. And not in a negative way, like I said earlier, not in a negative hold you accountable way, but in here, first of all, we need a reality check. There is an accountability problem in this culture, but now what are we gonna do about it? And so I worked to get them on board with me and I then adopted the persona of accountability evangelist probably another year or so later when I was looking for other ways to get the message out in a positive way to draw attention to it. So I kind of created this gimmick. I created a, a superhero cape and I wore it when I taught about leadership and accountability and I planned to put the cape away. But when I stopped wearing it, people wanted to know where it was. They wanted me to wear it. So I put it back on. And then when I created my own business and decided to name it uh, Accountability Evangelist, because I realized that it worked and it really got people thinking about accountability, which was the, the mission that I had. Absolutely. So if you think back to even, so well before moving from corporate to nonprofit, if you think about yourself as a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, has accountability always been something that you've, that you've really honed in on? Yeah. Um, yes, I would definitely say yes. I, I think it may have been labeled as stubborn back then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but yes, um, I, I was um, chuckling as soon as you asked because I had this vision, an image of myself. It was uh, during a snowstorm. It was a Sunday morning and it was time to go to church. And church was actually closed, which happened very, very infrequently. But I got and I was probably about eight, 10, 10 years old, maybe. I got my boots on. I bundled up. I was standing at the door and I told my parents, I'm going to church. And it was probably a good mile and a half, maybe two mile walk, uh, which would have been okay if it wasn't in a blizzard. But my father finally stopped me and said, Steph, there's no church today. You can't go. But I was determined. I, you know, it was my opinion that we go to church, like that's what we do. It doesn't matter if it's hard to get there. We made a commitment. We're going to follow through. And so, yes, I do think it probably appeared at a very young age. And that example probably illustrates that. It does. It re and I didn't even see the connection between stubborn and accountable until you just told that story. There's a really deep connection between those two, isn't there? Yeah. And actually, what I didn't realize until you said that is that we can also uh, reframe the word stubborn now into a positive light. So maybe it'll be my secondary mission. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think about, um, you know, just thinking about you as, as that little girl who's like, we go to church. That's what we do. And I'm going to church. I think we're in a time right now where so many people thought they had that level of 
um, identity and certainty and COVID just sort of threw everything they knew to be, this is, this is what we do. This is how we operate out of the window. What do you recommend to people who are still reeling from the last year of massive change and they don't know what to hold themselves accountable for because everything is so uncertain? Yeah, it's definitely uncertain. And I, I think you start with self-compassion, uh, you know, in terms of how much you can get done uh, or you can't, you know, if you're if you're not ready, then give yourself a break, but don't wait too long. And at this point, you know, we're kind of far into it. I would hope by now people have broken out of whatever was holding them back, at least to start moving forward. But if not, I highly recommend reading. You know, I this is how I stay focused on things. Finding uh, books on mindset, I've got tons of them that I've read that are on my list, something that will help you think in a different way and get you into that thinking regularly. Because it usually takes, you know, a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks to read a book. And during that time, you're letting those concepts kind of wash over you and it changes the way you perceive the world. And so I highly recommend investing in that. Obviously, we have more time now, or at least we we're more cooped up now, so it might be a great time to read a book. And it's, it, there's nothing wrong with reading fiction books, of course, uh, but I tend to lean toward nonfiction because I really just want to learn how to do things better, how to be better. And if you're stuck in a rut, I think that's a really great way to get out. That's a great idea. Yeah. Reading and, and working on your mindset, as you said, looking back, how do you think your mindset about both life and business have shifted over the years? Well, I would say I have learned a lot about myself and what works for me and what doesn't. So that's helpful. At the same time, I'm very open to new approaches. So where I'm, you know, stubborn or convicted, I also like to learn about new things. Like I said, via books, via meeting new people, et cetera. And I'm willing to try things differently in my mind. And I think that's huge. Because once you, it's kind of a funny thing, you know, you would build yourself up, you figure out who you are, you become convicted about your, what your values are and how you approach things, but you have, you have to stay flexible and think about, wait, there's a new idea that maybe would work for me. And so that's one way that it's shifted. The other thing is I'm unapologetic about saying no to things. Whereas I think before earlier in my life, I would have made, made myself available for events or people that. I really didn't have the energy for, but I just felt obligated to do it. And now I, I don't do that as much. And I'll explain it. I, as an accountability evangelist, I don't just say no. I don't make up an excuse. I don't certainly don't lie about it. I'll just tell them, no, I'm, that's not my thing. For example, if anything's scheduled after 9 p.m., it better be good because otherwise <laughs> I'm in bed. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Boundaries, right? It's, that's exactly right. And know, knowing when you're willing to leave your own boundaries, you always have permission to change your mind. You can decide I'm going to cross the boundary today, but no one else gets to decide that for you. Oh, I love that. Oh, you can always change your mind, but nobody gets to decide that for you. That's powerful. Yeah, I like it. I'm going to, I'm going to. Yeah, that. that's one of your quotes. That needs to be on Instagram, Twitter. Oh, that's amazing. You know, what you've just been saying leads me, especially because your expertise is accountability. Do you think that people, especially entrepreneurs, and maybe I'll go in the direction of entrepreneurs, do you believe that that entrepreneurs can be, can hold themselves to the highest level of accountability 
and be people pleasers at the same time? Hmm. Well, I'm not a person that likes to sit on the fence. So I'm going to say no. Yeah. Uh, because people pleasers, we're going back to other people making decisions for you. That's not going to work very well. It's not sustainable. You're not going to be happy about it. Your energy level is going to dip and then you're not going to present your best self to the world, which is what accountable, accountable people do is really try to do the, whatever they can do to be the best person they can be. So I definitely would not prioritize people pleasing because it's also a short term gain. Typically, you might get someone to be pleased or accepting in the short term, but it turns out that maybe that's not even what they needed or wanted. So I think it's more important to really think about start with your own values, figure out what is best for the situation and move forward. But people pleasing, I, I'm trying to think in my head if there's any ever a good reason to do that. You know, I, but I do want to say I don't want to confuse that with uh, making sacrifices. There are times when you if someone asks you to do something and you don't want to do it, you don't have time or you think you don't have time, which is also not really true because you choose how you spend your time. Maybe you just do it because they asked you, because you're a good person and because they were a good person. So there's a lot going on there, but I would say generally, no, you, you can't really do both. You've got to be focused on being the best person you can be and how you're best serving others, but it can't be in the context of pleasing people. Powerful. Very, very powerful. Because I think a lot of people pleasing comes from uh, a lack of, of self-worth. It comes from not knowing, not owning your priorities because you don't necessarily believe you're worthy of having them and making them priorities. Yes, I would agree with that. And I have another example for you. It goes back to what I said about being unapologetic. You know, it's we're in this, you know, pandemic situation in my job that I'm finishing up. I have a small team and one of our team members wanted to do a happy hour via Zoom. And you know, everyone was like, okay, great. Now, I don't know what everyone else thought about it, but I said, wait, time out. I don't want to do a happy hour after hours. Honestly, I have to reserve that time for what I'm doing with my family. If you want to do a happy hour, then let's do it earlier in the day. And I could just tell by the reaction of the other people that maybe some people were thinking that, but I'm the one who said it, right? And so I was thinking, well, don't you have enough confidence to speak up on something that's frankly inconsequential as a happy hour? And yeah declare your preferences, but most people don't. Most people would just show up whether they wanted to or not. And I was able to strike a compromise. We still had it, but it was at four o'clock during business hours and I happily attended. Whereas if it was at seven or eight, I frankly wasn't going to go. And in that decision also would have been met with some surprise by other people who thought, who said, I would never do that. Someone actually said that to me. I would never have said that. Well, maybe you should. Like no one got no one got hurt, right? Except you, if you didn't say what you needed. Yeah. Oh, because that is about communicating your needs and holding yourself accountable. Don't you think that's one of the most important things a person should hold themselves accountable for is communicating to others what they need? Yes, because no one is a mind reader and it's not fair to expect them to be mind readers. So you have to figure out the best way to communicate to them what your needs are. And by so doing, you're role modeling to them what you want back. But because a lot of people want you to be the mind reader, and you're not, I'm not. And so if the people that you care about are seeing how you're communicating your needs, hopefully that encourages them to do it in the same way. 
so that you don't have to struggle so much to understand what what they need. Because I think entrepreneurs who tend to work a lot, even if they're not working, their mind is going, they could miss the cue about other people's needs pretty easily. I know I do because I'm just thinking about things all the time. I'm not necessarily picking up on all the other cues from people that I live with and people I care about. And it really would be helpful to me if they gave me a bit of a hint. So I try to do that myself and be more clear about what my needs are so that they'll do the same back to me. Stephanie, do you think that women entrepreneurs especially get a bad rap when they are as communicative um, in an assertive way as you just described in that example? I mean, I wonder you know, I think male entrepreneurs can be very forward and they can say certain things and they can communicate their needs very clearly and it gets perceived differently still than women entrepreneurs. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to say no, but it's it's true. It still happens. And not even just in the entrepreneurial world, I really everywhere, there's tons of mansplaining still going on. Yeah. Um, right. So, and um, I'm blessed to have a husband who avoids that at all costs and recognizes <laughs> it when it happens and, uh, and kind of comes to the aid of, of his women friend about that. But it's just sad that he has to do that. Um, and I think that is going on in an entrepreneurial community. People want more women in leadership in, and as entrepreneurs, but when they speak up, I think it still comes across um, not as accepting as when men do, but we're heading in the right direction. I think the, the answer is in numbers. As more women get into entrepreneurial ventures, more women are in higher levels of leadership. When we start to even the balance statistically, it's not going to seem unusual anymore. But until that happens, I do think that just by nature right now, men have a bit of an advantage and they can get away with a lot of stuff that women can't uh, without being labeled in a certain way. But that shouldn't stop women from being who they are because it's not going there. They need to push forward in order to make change. And there's so many people that are rooting for us. There's no reason to back down. That's so true. And, and how do you, because, because I hear, I can see a lot of women listening to this and they're saying, wow, if I communicated my needs the way Stephanie did, people would say that I am, uh, let's see, a, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I think I'm better than I am. I'm demanding. I hear demanding a lot. I'm demanding. I'm bossy. I hear that a lot. Bossy. Um, whereas if a man communicated his needs in the same way that Stephanie talked about in her example, he wouldn't be called bossy or demanding. No, he wouldn't be, but he would be, uh, it'd still be regarded poorly, I think. He wouldn't be labeled that way, but nobody nobody wants a man to be to come across, <clears throat> excuse me, as abrasive. But I guess that's the difference is, are we really being abrasive or are we just being assertive? Exactly. And so it's, I guess it's, an, it's, it's that's something that the, the debate's gonna go on for a while. But I think in order to make change, people just have to be more accepting of a more direct approach. And that goes for any gender. You know, I, I, I think it's, you know, I struggle with this with my, my youngest child. She doesn't accept feedback well, unless it's, you know, kind of cleaned up and, you know, gently delivered. And I'm trying to teach her that it's not always going to be that way. And 
if it's not delivered the way you want it, it doesn't mean it's invalid. And I think that lesson applies back to your point about men versus women in the workplace, in the world. It shouldn't matter how it's delivered. As long as it's professionally done and respectfully done, then assertiveness should be embraced. Absolutely. And you just said something that I want to circle back around. If it's if the feedback's not delivered in the way that you want, it doesn't mean that it's invalid. How does that connect with accountability? Because I think a lot of people talk accountability in terms of, you know, I do what I say I'm going to do. I, you know, I, I keep my commitments to other people, but they don't keep their commitments to themselves. Right. So what yeah. feedback do you think the world or experiences or life may give us to give us the feedback that we need to hold ourselves accountable in a stronger way? Yeah, they definitely are connected. So when I was in the nonprofit and was still in a human resources role, people would come to me occasionally with their complaints. And I say occasionally because once the word got out that I expected people to come forward with solutions, I didn't get too many visitors after that. (laughs) (laughs) And that's very, very true. I wish it was a joke, but it's very true. But when they were coming forward, I would ask, usually what would happen is their complaint was not about what was said to them. It was how it was said. Oh. And and so I would try to peel it back and say, okay, I understand that you don't you didn't like the way that he or she spoke to you, but let let's talk about what the message was. Is that valid? What what do you think about that? And it honestly, with lots of people, I couldn't get them past that, or it took a long time. And I said, look, you really got to get past the I don't like the way it was delivered because there's a nugget of wisdom in there that could really help you grow if you're willing to listen to it. And that is what accountability is about, is about putting the mirror up and asking yourself, what am I doing or not doing that is delaying or preventing my personal or professional success? And feedback is a gift, whether you wanna unwrap it or not, and whether it's wrapped in pretty paper or it's just kind of tossed at you. Uh, Either way, it's feedback, it's information, and you need to think about it. And it doesn't matter how it's delivered, but accountable people have a better or an easier time, I should say, accepting feedback. It doesn't mean it's easy for anybody. I don't think anybody likes to get constructive feedback per se, but if you're accountable and you embrace that mentality and that value, you know it's absolutely necessary for your growth. And so you're more willing to receive it and consider it and then act upon it as necessary. I love that. Feedback is a gift, whether you unwrap it or not. That's some, there's so much truth to that. (laughs) Wow. Um, There's so much truth to that. But how does somebody know the difference between receiving constructive feedback and um, being demeaned by someone? Like, how can you tell the difference between feedback that is actually constructive, whether you like how it's given or not, and a situation where someone is telling you something that really is meant to demean you. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an important thing to notice because we don't want, well, we definitely don't want someone to be just taking feedback, like taking it, like taking a, you know, a, a, a metaphorical punch to the face that that's not good feedback. Um, but first I should point out that giving feedback is a skill set, and many, many people are not good at it because they don't practice it, they don't work at it. And so I would say the majority of people aren't great at it. 
that doesn't mean that someone should be able to get away with demeaning. And I think you have to think back to the person delivering the message, right? So that's the first thing I would say is, is this person coming from a place of good faith or not? Mm. And if you can figure that out, uh, if the answer is yes, then the delivery is probably the issue. And uh, what I recommend actually, let's go that route first. So let's say it's the person who's coming from good faith and they just totally fumbled the delivery. Then listen to the feedback, take it in, take notes, ask questions to make sure you understand it. And then come back the next day or a couple days later, ask for another conversation. Let them know what you think about the feedback that you thought about it and then give them feedback on their delivery. And say, you could say something like, look, I re- first of all, thank you. I really appreciate you giving me feedback, but, and this is what I thought about. This is what I, this is how I feel it's relevant. I also wanted to give you feedback, if you don't mind, about the delivery of your feedback, because I think if you adjusted your approach in the future, I might be more accepting of it. And so would other people that you deliver feedback to. And so I highly recommend that. That's a very accountable approach. And that's, again, assuming someone's coming from a place of good faith. If they're not, you need to call them out on it in much the same way. You know, you can still take it in, think about the feedback, but then return to them and say, I need to talk to you about your approach. Like, this is not the professional way to speak to people. And, well, we need to talk about that. I have some suggestions if you're willing to hear it. That's a great way to approach it. Um, And I think you're absolutely right that giving feedback and receiving feedback is a skill set. Do you feel like accountability is also a skill set? Yeah, I would say it's probably more of a muscle. But yes, it's... uh, I guess they're, they're related in that way. You have to practice them in order to, to be good at, and you, and they never, uh, you never arrive in that you can never stop focusing on accountability in that nonprofit. I mentioned after a couple years, I, you know, I noticed that the culture was kind of getting a little complacent again. So I went on an accountability 2.0 tour and went to all the staff meetings and just did a refresher on the concepts. And I, I think that's really important for your personal accountability is to keep it front and center all the time. I mean, I think about accountability more than almost every person I've ever met, and I still need to be reminded on a daily basis to be accountable. And so I think it's really important to put reminders, go back to those books, find other ways to make sure you're always kind of keeping yourself in check, asking yourself the right questions, putting that mirror up where it belongs, meaning facing you. Absolutely. So when you think about accountability in your business specifically, what has been the toughest part for you in terms of accountability or just the entrepreneurial journey? Well, interestingly enough, um, it, it was the salary. So um, as I mentioned, I went from a corporate to nonprofit. And then after that, I went to a startup, which is where I'm at now. And I'm finishing that up. And now I'm going full time into my business. So I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur full time just for myself. But I was working at a startup. So in all those moves, the corporate from the corporate to nonprofit, I took a pretty big pay cut. And then I took another pay cut to go to the, the startup. And then technically, because I'm really just starting out to generate revenue, I'm getting another pay cut. And the issue I had with all that, I was really struggling with. I don't get it. Here I am, way more capable, way more skilled, way more able to contribute. And I keep making less and less money. It was mm-hmm. driving me nuts. I just, it just drove me nuts. So what did I do about that is I 
put the mirror up and said, well, what are you doing or not doing that's delaying or preventing your success? And I realized that I needed to go out of my own sooner because I do better when I bet on myself and I put more things under my control. And I certainly can influence anything. But at this most recent move where I decided to leave the startup, they are going to take off. They're going to do great, but not at the at the pace and not as fast as I need them to in order for me to meet my goal, which is to write big checks to charity. I do not want to be 75, 80 years old, finally writing that five figure check or six figure check. I don't want to do that. And so I realized I've got to, you know, practice what I preach and do what I need to do to make this happen. And so that's what I've done. But the issue that kind of drove me there that was frustrating me the most was looking at the numbers, you know, my paycheck as a as a reflection of my contribution, which is not the best way to look at it. And I realize that now, but it is what fueled me to finally make this leap, which is a bit of a risky move, but it's one I'm really excited about. Absolutely. And you know, Stephanie, what what you're what you're talking about, that that tough part where you realize that to go up, certain things go down. Yep. You know, I think it was it John Maxwell who said something about sacrifice, but it was, you know, to level up, there, there are sacrifices that have to be made. I think that's one of the parts of the entrepreneurial journey that so few people ever talk about. They never talk about the loss of income, the loss of revenue. Every time you start a new business, that happens. Every time you go to the, every time you want to go to the, you know, the Elon Musks who lost, who gave up all their money to start whatever space thing he did. He was sleeping on the couch of his office for years. And then now he's back again. And now he just sold everything he has and he's starting. I mean, nobody talks about the sacrifices that are a part of the accountability. If like you're saying, I want to be an entrepreneur who writes five figure checks to charity. Why do you think people don't talk about that part of the journey more? Well, I think part of it is that it, nobody wants to take a step back. You know, when you have this, this uh, ideal, you know, I know I did when I got out of school, I kept taking jobs and each, each job, successive job paid me more money. So I just, and I got pay raises every year. So I just assumed oh, well, by this time, I'm going to be making this amount of money. It never occurred to me that it could go the other way. Um, Definitely not as I was becoming more capable. And so I think that there's just this um, myth out there that the trajectory is always positive. So we kind of have to break that. And I think the world is because so many people have been laid off multiple times that it's now, it's no longer a stigma on a resume, you know, to say that you've been laid off yet. So you and everyone else, right? So exactly, that's that's the good news. But I also think the sacrifice is scary. If you think about going without revenue, right? I'm starting my business with zero revenue. And that's a pretty scary thing for my family to do. But, you know, they have confidence in me. I have full confidence in me. If I was single and no kids, I probably would have done this a while ago. Because I know that once I focus here 100%, it's going to happen. It won't happen overnight, but it's going to happen way faster than if I stayed where I was. And so I think that scary sacrifice a lot of times has to do with the obligation you feel to the people in your life and, you know, what would happen if. But you have to push past that because if I wait any longer, I'm not going to get where I want to go. And I'm doing this to serve others. I'm not doing this just to make more money and feel more comfortable. I'm doing this as I want to give back. I want to give my family some cushion where they don't feel like they have to think about it when someone says, 
oh, we, you know, donate to this cause or can you buy this thing? I don't want them to have to think about that anymore. Right now we're, we're doing that. So I do think, just to reiterate, sacrifice is scary, uh, but that's the only way to, you know, risk and reward. You've got to go after it. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, some of the things you point to, what I'm hearing you say is you have a really strong sense that betting on you is probably the safest thing you can do to get to where you want to go. And there's this level of certainty in your voice that says, I know I can do this. I know I'm going to do this. I know it's going to take sacrifice to do this, but I'm betting on me. What do you say to the people who listen to this and they, they want to start a business or they've wanted to start a business for years, but their inner critic is like going to town on them. You can't, you won't How? I mean, do you deal with inner critic rage? And if so, what do you recommend people do about that? Yeah, I do. Cause I'm human and uh, everyone is human, but I don't deal with it as I don't, I don't face it as much as I think the average person does because I do have that hundred percent confidence in myself. You know, I've said things before, like I could be president of the United States if I wanted to be, if I was willing yeah. to do what it took to become the president, I'm not. Right. I already told you I'm not up, at, up after nine o'clock, so that's not going to work out. Too well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. So I, I know that about me. So it's I'm the only person holding me back. I have known that. And that's that's part of where my accountability mindset comes from. So but what I would say is and what I do when I do start to get a little bit of doubting, like something like, oh, my gosh, what did I just do? Or am I going to be able to pay my bills the first couple months of this new venture? That type of thing is I take the words of many people have said this, but most recently Buffalo Bills coach Sean McDermott. I love the Bills. So I get to see Sean a lot on TV. And he's always said since he became coach only a couple of years ago, trust the process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my coach, I have a coach and I'm part of a cohort, a business coach. And she basically says the same thing. And I look to her, I look to the people that she surrounds herself with. These are very successful people who trusted a process. And the cohort members that have gone before me, like they're ahead of me in the process, they're successful. So I just have to do what needs to be done and it's going to happen. And so whenever I find myself kind of a little discouraged, like, oh man, this is so much work. I'm ever going to get there. When is this going to happen? I'm just trusting the process and trying to enjoy the journey. Um, I have met so many wonderful people, including you, Cassandra, in this process that I'm going through. I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, I wish I didn't have to worry about revenue, but I will need some at some point. <laughs> um, right. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm meeting wonderful people who are going to pull me forward. And so that's what I try to focus on is this is awesome. And the money's going to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what do you say to people? I don't know if you've ever coached someone like this, but if you've ever tried to coach somebody to understand that the only one that's standing in their way, as you said, is themselves, right? The only one standing in my way is me. Have you ever coached somebody who I call them? Yeah, but people, so you <laughs> give them all this advice, you help them design action and every strategy you try to talk through with them, like, yeah, but I can't do this because they can't see that they're standing in their own way, but they think the circumstances and everybody else are what's standing in their way. Have you ever coached someone like that? And what would you say to someone who is sort of blaming everything outside of themselves for what's not happening within? Sure. So <laughs> first question was, do I have I ever coached someone like that? The answer is no. And that's because I don't coach those people mm. uh, because I only coach accountable people. And what you just Ooh. described is not an accountable person. 
But that said, I do teach people who aren't accountable yet. So when I teach groups of people about accountability, that's when I try to kind of pick apart their logic, but I will not take on a coaching client who has that mindset. It's just not a good fit uh, because they have to have that when they come in because I don't want to start at a negative. I want to start at neutral or positive and take off from there. So every person I've ever coached, I've screened and I've confirmed that they're not going to give me the yeah buts. Now, every once in a while, even a combo people do, but as soon as you point it out to them, they they get it because they they understand and they embrace the concept of, of accountability. So what, what I do when I teach people in groups, and, and which include groups of people who don't have that mentality yet, is really try to get them to understand, well, is what you're doing working for you? Because <laughs> if it were, <laughs> um, you know, then then we wouldn't be having this conversation and you wouldn't I wouldn't have to challenge you on this. But I really just try to get them to think because I'm not going to convert somebody on the spot. I, that rarely happens, especially if they're they're pretty um, pretty convicted about not being accountable, even though they'd never say that because nobody wants to be called unaccountable. But if you are saying yeah, but and there's an excuse for everything and external circumstances are blamed for everything that's ever happened to you, then you're not accountable yet. And so what I do is invite them to have more conversation with me and with others about it and to really just think about. What do I want out of my life? Am I getting it or not? And what can I do differently? And I start back with my very, very fundamental concept of control versus influence. Mm. You can only control your own behavior. You control your reaction to other people's behavior. And you can influence everything else. That's it. Wow. And and you said something so powerful because I don't know how many times I've said as a coach to other people who want to become coaches, some clients are not your clients. Right. They're just not. And so you're going to spend way more money and time, energy, and everything else trying to coach somebody who is not your client than you would if you simply set the boundary that you will not work with people like that. Yeah. And in fact, maybe those people will come around. That might be just the kind of lightning bolt they needed to realize, uh oh, she's not going to coach me. Like that's <laughs> a bit startling, right? But I, I won't do it because it's, it won't work. Neither one of us will be happy with it. And I, I refuse to charge somebody for my time if it's not going to be productive. So, and I just, it's unpleasant. They won't like it. Just like the people stopped coming to visit me at my office, they're not going to want to talk to me because I'm always going to say, okay, what can you do differently? What have you thought of? Who can you talk to? And people who are like to be victims don't want to hear that line of questioning. They want you to jump on board and pile on the person or thing that they think is causing their situation to be poor. And I just won't do that. Absolutely. And it's like they say, when the, um, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, and it makes me think about, uh, you know, your, your summit that's coming up because it's really helping people get out of their own way. Do you want to talk for a bit about, you know, where did the idea come from? What, what is your goal and purpose in it? And who is it for? Yes, absolutely. But first, I will tell you one other thing just to, to segue is the other thing, a piece of advice I give people is to go where you're needed. And so when you said, no, your client, you know, some people aren't a match for you. Uh, people will come around or they won't. Yeah, there's lots of people that you can help and that want your help. So go go help them. Which, which segues us nicely to get out of your own way. So this is for the audience of people who they're accountable already. They have ambitious goals, but for one reason or the other, they're not tackling them. 
It may be because we're in a pandemic and they feel stuck. A lot of times it's because they feel they must take care of everything else first and then they can take care of themselves. That happens a lot, um, especially with women um, who have families. You know, I've heard the excuse a lot of times, well, I can't do it now because I don't have the money or, you know, I, I'm going to wait till my kids graduate from high school. I'm like, what? what? How many more years is that? Exactly. <laughs> and some of those women I'm talking to have toddlers. I'm like, oh my goodness. That's you know, right. Teenagers, I don't have to wait as long, but I, you know, you shouldn't wait because what happens when you wait is the people that you are meant to serve are waiting too. And that's the biggest travesty. So the purpose of the summit is to get people out of their own way. So they get out there and they serve by being the best person they can be. And so what I did is I gathered uh, 30 speakers, including myself and you, to, to share our perspective on that, give you different ways of looking at how do I get out of my own way? And as you know, Cassandra, and, and you said this in your interview with me, uh, getting out of your own way is not a one-time thing. It okay. happens continuously. And as I mentioned earlier, I recommend reading, personal development, et cetera. This is one of those things I highly recommend. You can immerse yourself in these interviews and listen to what people are saying, listen to them tell you how they got out of their own way, and then give you insights that you can use, actions you can take to get out of your own way so that you can serve people. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I wish it were as easy as the matrix and red pill, blue pill. I wish it was that simple. Right. It is, it is far from that. So what do you say to people who feel like they've been getting in their own way for years at this point? What is one thing that you would say to them that they could do starting today to begin to get out of their own way? I would say rewrite your own rules. Mm. And what I mean by that is, well, first of all, you have to recognize that you have rules that you have instituted that no one else has given you. No one else has declared they're not real, but you're operating on a set of rules. Um, just examples for you might say, um, I could never go on a business trip for a week and leave my children for a week. Um, I can never start a business and quit my job. Uh I can never get up at 4.30 in the morning to work out. Um, none of those things are true. But if, if you believe them, they're holding you back. So the best thing you can do is identify what those rules are and challenge them. If you choose to continue to abide by them, that's your decision. But at least now you know that you can rewrite them. They're not real. That's powerful. That is very, very powerful. Wow. So it's, it, it sounds like it's making the, the unwritten rules that you're living by, making the unconscious conscious, so you know what rules you're actually living by, yes. and then consciously then choosing to rewrite the ones that aren't working for your life. Yes. You don't have to rewrite them all at once. You, you, you wouldn't want to tackle all of them at once. I think that would maybe discouraging because it's, it's too hard to do that. Um, I, I don't like to focus on more than three major things at a time, but you might find that you have many, many rules. Maybe you have 20 rules. That's fine. Just document them and pick the ones that are going to make the biggest difference to you if you change them and go after those, right? This brings us back to, uh, as Cassandra, you and I talked in your interview about the one thing by Gary Keller. This yes. can use that concept to find out what is the one thing that you can do. It's and marrying that with my concept about the leadership mirror is what is the one thing you can do 
that will get you out of your own way, right? That, that makes the biggest impact on getting out of your own way. And then once that one is done, what I mean by done is you now have a new habit. It's no longer an issue for you. Then you tackle the next one. Okay, what's the next thing that's got the biggest impact? If I change this, I'm going to be able to get out of my way faster and more effectively. And then keep going and tackle all the major ones that you can. And you're going to notice a huge difference. You know, and you mentioned people being in, your, in their own way for a long time. I actually got excited when you said that because in some ways, the further away you are from where you want to be, the bigger the change you're going to need to make and the more exciting that is. Because you can really change your life. You just have to change your mind. Oof, I love that. You can really change your life, but you just have to change your mind. And the one thing that I think is so important for people to recognize is that, you know, there are all these books and all this neuroscience research that says it takes 60 days to form a habit. It takes 90 days. But I love James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits. And in his book, he says, it depends. It depends on the habit. Like some habits will take you a year before your brain goes on autopilot and that's just who you are and that's just what you do. Some will take you 90 days. So I love what you're saying about rules because if you say, okay, what is the one rule, right? The one thing, what is the one thing that if I change this one thing, it would literally have a compound effect positively on everything else. And then you just go out that one rule, change that one rule until it becomes so automatic in your life that you no longer have to think about it. That's the signal that you can go then go to the next rule. But who? it might take you 90 days. It might take you 180. Who knows? Yep. You got it. That goes back to trusting the process and building trust in yourself, which is another thing that you and I spoke about in your interview for Get Out of Your Own Way, is as you tackle one of these things and you notice that you're successful in doing so, it builds your confidence to do more. And you realize that, wow, I just got up at 4.30 in the morning for two months in a row to work out. And I never thought I could ever do that. What else can I do that I never thought I could do? Absolutely. I so agree. Stephanie, how can people learn more about you? Well, they can go to my website, accountabilityevangelist.com. I also have a free Facebook group, Ambitious Accountability Ambassadors, that I highly recommend people join. That's also where we're going to be having lots of conversation about the Get Out of Your Own Way Summit. So those are the two best places. I am starting to uh, branch out into Instagram and Twitter and then also definitely on LinkedIn as well. So over, now that I've been able to focus on my business full time, I'll be spending more time on those social media sites as well. Fantastic. I'll be sure to include all those links in the show notes as well so that people can find it there too. Great. Fantastic. Now here's the final question and it's my favorite question. So Stephanie, if you 10 years from now could give you one piece of advice about moving to the next level of your business, what advice would that version of you in 10 years give the version of you today? Mm, Well, this is actually going to be different than everything we've talked about. Because when I think about the one thing that's going to make the biggest difference for my business, it is marketing. And I didn't know that when I opened my business. Actually, my business has been open since January 2015. And it opened because I got a referral for private coaching from a a friend of mine who had her own consulting business. And she kind of deferred clients to me. And that happened for two years. And I thought, oh, this is so easy. I don't know what people are complaining about starting a new business. I have all this business coming to me. And then, you know, she didn't have anything more to send my way. And my marketing plan was her. 
So I realized, uh-oh, I guess you can't just hang out a shingle and people are going to show up. So here I am, you know, over five years later, really starting over and building my marketing and making sure I get the word out and focusing on the messaging so people understand what it is I do and how I can help them. Absolutely. Wow. That is a huge aha to have about the marketing because, um, you, you know, you said earlier in the interview that there, go serve the people who, you know, who need you. And there's many it, but if they don't know about you, then they can't reach you. That's right. That is so true. Wow. So many good nuggets today, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me on She Runs the Show. It was wonderful. I had a blast. And thanks for having me. Definitely. Definitely. 